0: Thank you for uh, what we've learned up to this point we thank you for the opportunities to put into practice what we've learned up to this point but yeah father we know we we uh, say these things hopefully uh, in the sense that there's things that you have for us even this week if the lord doesn't come back uh, this week uh, you'll have things for us to do so uh, in all these different things there's opportunities to glorify you and we ask father as we take in your word that it would as you've promised prepare us for the things that you have for us. All right. We're in the book of Philippians. Um, We're looking at positional truth in the New Testament epistles. Um, we're, We're explaining it from a point of view that this is not an isolated doctrine, but it's actually a doctrine that permeates all of the New Testament because it sets an essential, critical doctrine to our Christian life. We've explained it as the key for the, of the Christian's part, the Christian's responsibility in how you're empowered. We know the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers, but what is your responsibility? Your responsibility is positional truth. Not to achieve it. It's something that's given to you the moment you believe. But it's your responsibility and how you relate to it. And how do you relate to it? By setting your mind to it. First, finding it in the New Testament and then setting your mind to it. Those, that's your responsibility. Nobody can do that for you. Your pastor can't do it. Your spouse, your, your kids, your, your uh, Sunday school teacher, what they can't do it. It's your responsibility to find it and to set your mind to it. What are these truths? And it's found all through the New Testament. It's found all through the New Testament. So we come through the book of Philippians, and we, we've been pointing out things that are implicated, positional truth, and things that are clear statements that we have a position in Christ. So in Philippians 1.1, just by re- review, as we lead up to the ones that we haven't seen yet today, we see have seen that uh, in 1.1 1, 1, that we are saints in Christ Jesus. Paul and Timotheus, the slaves of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And uh, in the ones that are in Philippi. So uh, we are saints in Christ. What is a saint? Someone who is set apart to God. That's what a saint is. You can... You are a saint positionally. You can be a saint in your manner of life. As you relate to who you are in Christ. So that's very true. We saw in verse 11 that there's a righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are fruits of righteousness. Verse 11. Through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God how are the fruits of righteousness through jesus christ it's by setting your mind to things above then the holy spirit fills you and then you can act right that's how you have fruits of righteousness so a positional truth is implicated in verse 11 not directly stated but it's the prerequisite to enacting that verse Uh, verse 27 only let your conduct be as it becomes the gospel of the christ That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one soul striving together in the faith concerning the gospel. What gospel? The gospel of the Christ. The fact that all New Testament believers are united in Christ. There's a unity there. There's a unity in Christ. We're all there at his right hand based on the same merit. So that is a positional truth. In 127. We saw in chapter two a consolation, a paraclesis. There is a paraclesis in Christ. Since there is, since there's any consolation, paramuthion, a consolation from love, since any fellowship of the spirit, since any compassions and pities. Okay, so you have that those statements there in in two one. And what are what are what's it really getting to in this chapter? That we can have a reflective thinking similar to Christ. We're going to have the mind of Christ. We're going to let the mind that's in Christ be in us. As it says in uh, verse 5, let this reflective thinking be in you that was in Christ. He subjected himself to the will of another. He subjected himself to the will of the Father. And we ought, this ought to be a consolation to us. Right? We have this consolation that Christ did it. We're in Christ. We can serve, too. We have the attitude of a servant, too, because we have an elevated status, and yet we can serve down here, right? That's really what this is getting to. This is a consolation to us. It's It's a comfort. Christ did it, and we can do it. God's given us everything to do this. We ought to serve. In 2.15, so that ye be blameless and harmless, the children of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, we could get, this is, behind this text is a whole bunch of stuff in relationship to the Christian life. But what is light? It's the life of God in activity. It's the life of God in activity. How do you live out that life? Well, Colossians 3 says your life is hidden God. Well, how do you live out that life? Well, it becomes light when the life is visible. Life becomes light when it's visible. How, how are they going to see it if it's hidden in Christ? You got to get your mind up there. That's your responsibility. And then the spirit is the one who causes Christ to shine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Spirit causes Christ to shine. That's Ephesians 5. So again, positional truth is embedded in this verse. It's not explicitly stated, but if you want to shine as lights in the world, you're going to have to use utilize positional truth. We saw in verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service from your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. The word sacrifice in verse 17 is priestly service. Again, this is not a explicit statement. It's implicit. Why is it implicit? Because why are you a priest? Why is this a priestly service in verse 17? Because we're in Christ. That's the basis of our priesthood. Christ is a high priest and we are in him. We can turn directly to our left and speak to our heavenly father. We have access through our heavenly high priest, through Christ. He is our veil. He is the veil. We pass through him to talk to our heavenly father. Not only that, but he intercedes on our behalf and super intercedes in the spirit also. But it's because we're in Christ. So again, verse 17 is a implicated positional truth. jump down what else in chapter 2 uh, 222 again you have this reference to the gospel referring to the gospel of the Christ in 230 again the, God, the work of the Christ as Epaphras uh, is uh, sacrificing himself on behalf of believers um, come to chapter 3 and we have that we can have joy in the Lord rejoice in the Lord where you rejoice in the Lord And we see in uh, verse three, this implication of circumcision in Christ because he's not like the the concision that mutilates people. He is saying we, all Christians, male and female, are the circumcision, the real circumcision. And we can go to, we went to other passages where it tells you this is a circumcision, not with hands, right? This is talking about being in Christ in Christ, we are we, we are what we're going to be without a sin nature. Now, that's not saying down here we don't have a sin. It's saying in Christ. Down here, we still have a sin nature. Let's not be confused. Scripture is real clear. You have all kinds of verses. Most of the New Testament is written because we still have a sin nature, telling us how to deal with it, how to not do what the sin nature tells us, how to not be slaves, how to be free from our sin nature. We have a sin nature, but in Christ... We're seen to be what we're going to be. We're to set our mind to that so we can be free from that sin nature down here. Legalism, which was what Paul is dealing with here. He's saying, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. He's dealing with people who are trying to set up standards based on human accomplishments. And those things are all, they appeal to the sin nature we all want to say i'm better than you look at let's see uh you can and they'll throw out a billion reasons why you know one person will say well i'm faster than you so i'm better than you well i'm slower than you so i'm better than you because i take my time and i enjoy the scenery, so i'm better than you you people that run fast you miss most of life you're not getting all the things done that god wants you to do you're going too fast you know so they'll have all these different standards based on nothing and it's all set up by themselves to establish their very own righteousness right and that's the problem with it we're not living like that we don't we're not competing with anybody we're not competing with them. we're in a race with ourselves and with the the plan that god has for each of us individually we have a place in christ we all have the same position the same status before god but then God individually has different, unique. That doesn't make us just a number. Oh, here's Tim. He's believer number 1,346,342. There's Jim. He's believer 1,041, right? We're not just numbers. We, God has a unique relationship to each one of us. And it's specific to us. So if I'm trying to compete with you down here, I might prove myself better than you at some task down here. But while I've been successful in the course that God has for me in Christ, I would have been a failure because I wouldn't have been running the, the thing for the things that he has for me. You get it? Yeah, you did really good. But it didn't mean anything because you were doing the high jump and you were supposed to be running the mile, right? That happens to these teenagers that go out and do uh, field and uh, what's that called? Field and track, track and field. They don't know where they're supposed to. The first couple of races, they don't. It takes somebody to tell them where they're supposed to be every minute of the competition. Because uh, oh the the mile, where's someone? Where's Johnny? He's the one running the mile. Oh, he's back there getting a drink of water over by the long jump. Right? And uh, he has to forfeit because he wasn't ready. He wasn't attentive to his activities for him. Right? We're not competing with other believers,
1: but we are the circumcision in Christ who do a priestly
0: service. With respect to God and by the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. No, we're not going to re re uh, uh, exegete this whole passage. Um, but that whole passage, where cert- we, we, there's three implications in verse three here, we are the circumcision. You can compare that Colossians 2:11. Worship is a priestly service. 1 Peter 2:15. All boasting is a Christian. You have boasting in verse three. That's confidence. Boasting for the Christian should be in the Lord. First Corinthians one thirty-one. So in verse seven, when it says, "I can be found," Paul says, "I count all those things that were gained to me; those I count loss on account of Christ." You see that? That's an implication. What? What is the? Uh, him what because what why is he what's he talking about when he says i want to i count those things off on account of christ it's because he wants to be found verse nine in him he wants to be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of law but that which is through a faith concerning christ the one that's the righteousness which is out from god by faith He doesn't want a righteousness that's based on some human standard that I established myself by some negative rule that I I kept myself from this and I kept myself from that. And look how pious I am. He says, I want to be found righteous. Yes, I want to be righteous. I want to do what's right. But I want to have a righteousness that's through being in Christ, through directing faith, at the promises in Christ. See, That's a righteousness That is an outworking of God working Through us That's a much better righteousness than the righteousness that I Drum up what I deem Is right what I deem is the right thing to do in a Circumstance And he says In verse 10 that I may know him even the Power of his resurrection and The fellowship of his sufferings being made Conformable unto his death that sufferings is Not his sufferings on the cross It's the sufferings that the head of the body experiences when parts of the body don't function correctly due to carnality you know that our lord suffers when believers are trying to live by law our head the lord jesus christ is suffering when believers are suffering due to carnality and the rest of the body suffers too Paul says, I want to know him, even the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings right now through being made conformable unto his death. Well, how, how, does he, how is he made conformable to the death of Christ? Are you going back and experiencing the sin for the sins of the world with Christ? Is that what it's talking about? No, it's talking about you being conformed to his death by. Counting yourself dead to the sin
1: nature and alive unto God. Being alive unto God. That's the death. This us talk
0: about. So in verse one, if any means I might attain under the resurrection of dead ones. So then you keep coming down and you, we, we hit this last week and this looks at believers. Uh, what is the road to maturity? It goes back to this living in Christ being found in him. And uh, Paul says to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are mature, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, where to we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who reflectively think earthly things. For our citizenship is in heavens, from whom also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our body of humiliation. This is a body. It, it, we do have a humble body, don't we? Yeah, that's why we put clothes on, right? I don't think anybody would be proud to walk around. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, you know, I... I never have gotten to that competition body that i had when i was in high school right you know kind of embarrassing i can remember telling my dad when i was in high school dad i'm never going to get like you i'm never going to be like you i'm going to always be like this right and uh i was pretty i was pretty horrible i mean i was like that you know a son a a boy kind of kind of taunts their dad we play uh, basketball, and you learn to have that. Comp- he would teach us that competitive spirit, you know. You know, play fairly and play within the rules, but uh, play, play hard, play to win. And uh, so he taught us that. And so uh, we would we would rib each other a little bit. Dad, I'm never going to get like you. Within one year out of high school, I was so out of shape. <laughs> it was it was pretty comical. Uh, things catch up to you pretty fast. Um, But uh, yeah, so the idea of a body of humiliation, Uh, but we're going to have a body that's fashioned like unto his glorious body. When we see Christ, we will be like him. We'll no longer suffer the things of sin. We'll no longer suffer like we do in this body today. Today, we have all kinds of appeals to to all kinds of unrighteous things, don't we? Mm -hmm. And even as Christians, we have those things. And it's all, many of them appeal through our physical body, our bodily appetites, right? It's pretty humbling to think, man, I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of this. And then all of a sudden you think, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm in charge here. And then the allurements of, I mean, just take something that's really not moral or immoral, food, right? You think you're in charge until you, you think, I'm gonna really start watching myself here, so I don't overdo it. I need to trim a few pounds. And you go, oh, and then a cake the comes out, right? You're like, oh, just have a little piece, right? That's how much. How humil it, it's humbling, isn't it? What's What's in charge? Is it you, the person, or are you, the nature? Right? What's in charge? Belly. It's that belly, yeah, the nature. And uh, that's part of what that's about when it talks about a body of humiliation. But we'll have a body that's fashioned on his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. See, he's in charge. We're not in charge of anything down here. Proof and concept, look at us. Right? We ain't what we're going to be. We can't control our eyesight. It keeps getting worse. Body of humiliation. We can't control the 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 gravity of the hair from here to here right body of humiliation we can't control the skin you know when we're young it all is is kind of nice and as we get older it gets a little more creepier and creepier and you know the that's the collagen that's that's age we don't have control over that that happens that's body of humiliation But when we see Christ, we'll be like him and we'll have a glorious body. And you, you always wonder, why does this statement, he, we, according to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things unto himself, what, why's that statement thrown in there? It's because we don't have control over our bodies and it's humiliating. But he will give us a new body and it's gonna be working differently than our bodies today. It's gonna to work by the spirit instead of the soul. <coughs> And he's in charge of all this. When he comes back, it's going to be proved. When he gives us a new body that we'll have more control over, it's going to prove that he can control everything. In his glorified humanity, he's going to control everything. The rapture proves Christ's ability and authority to rule the whole earth. Kind of a cool
1: statement. Come to chapter
0: 4. We have several really important, straightforward statements on positional truth in chapter 4. Let's just point them out to start with. Number 1 in verse 1, I can stand in the Lord. Okay? And we're to stand in the Lord in this way. This is how it states it in in verse 1. In verse 2, he says... That we can be of the same reflective thinking in the Lord. As he's talking to Euodius and Syntyche. Two women that weren't getting along in the Philippian church. In verse 4, it tells us we're to rejoice in the Lord. tells us we can. In verse 10, it repeats it again. We can rejoice in the Lord. Verse 19, it says all needs can be filled according to the riches from him by glory where in christ jesus but with that said we can come back to verse seven i think this is really the highlight of the whole epistle following up right after three chapter three you have this idea that the peace of god which covers over all the mind can guard your hearts and thoughts in christ jesus so It's telling us here in verse 7 how to utilize positional truth so that you can be empowered to utilize the peace from God, which is part of the fruit of the Spirit, so that you can continue
1: to set your mind on things above. Everybody see that? This verse 7 is really
0: pivotal in the Christian life. looking up here on the board here I'm going to draw a little thing here we, we've done this many times you have Christ up, upstairs Tim has John 1420 right then he has an arrow that goes like this I might have it backwards but arrow going one way and arrow going the other way right he probably has it the other way I'm going to switch it I haven't <laughs> studied enough to get it perfect it's probably the other way
1: Probably like this.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure how he has it up there. But uh, it's, it's going to that verse, right? And we've, we've done this many times. Here you are as a believer. And the minute you believe the gospel, you're put into Christ. At the same time, Christ is put into you. Okay. Ooh, happy. And
1: i'm going to change his feet here we're gonna not sure how this should look i'm not an artist so okay
0: okay he's running running. that's a horrible he looks like he's you know falling on the ground maybe but uh, this is what happens when somebody's not an artist tries to draw okay so the minute you believe the gospel, you're put into Christ. You have a new position. Christ is put in you. You have eternal life. You also have the Father in you, new nature, the spirit indwelling in you as your teacher. Now, as we've stated, this is just the fact that you're in Christ. This, this one right here, we put that as number one. Okay. This is a separate event that happens at the same time. Christ is put into you. But then there's a number three, which would be you setting your mind to that, right? That's number three. Number four would be a, a separate thing where the Holy Spirit acts on eternal life and the new nature and gives access to you the different attitudes It'd actually be up here in your mind. Give access, that'd be number four. That's empowerment. And then number five, would be you acting on it. And that's where maturity is. Acting on these abilities that
1: are made accessible to you. Coming to your designed end. when we say maturity is what we're talking about. Growth, right? So here
0: we have something called worry, anxiousness. He says to be worried for nothing. Worry for nothing, but in all things by prayer, supplication, after thanksgivings, let your request be made known unto God. Okay. So, first of all, a lot of people will come to this and say, don't worry because you're carnal. I'm not going to, where does it say that? It doesn't say that, but people will imply that.
1: If you're worrying, you're being carnal.
0: Well, that's not true. Okay. That's not true. You, worry is just a place of danger worry is just a place of danger first thing that how, what are you supposed to do in all things in all things for all things at all times give thanks. give thanks so something comes into your life a circumstance and it's a difficulty first thing you should do is do what give thanks and okay, maybe you don't even start to worry because you gave thanks for it god you give thanks Because you know about this. You're in control of all things. I'm at your right hand. Nothing's changed. in regard. I'm still a Christian. I'm still at your right hand. Nothing's changed. If anything comes to life, you allowed it. Now, the only thing here is for me to figure out what your solution is that you already know. What is your solution? So, but if it's a worry that you can't get out, you can't get it out of your head, you're supposed to do something with it. It says, be careful for nothing, but in all things, by worship and supplication, and after thanksgiving. So what does, thanksgiving comes first, as I stated, doesn't it? After thanksgiving. It's with the accusative here. It's meta with the accusative, which puts it actually first logically. You give thanks first. You give thanks first. God, your grace is good. And then... You worship, it leads to pure worship. And then you supplicate God. Now that I recognize who you really are, I had no cause to worry. I'm just gonna cry. Yeah, the circumstance came before me and I have no idea what's gonna happen. It's scary. Help me. I really really am a big proponent of supplication. It's one of my favorite forms of communication. You know why? Because when you supplicate, if you're doing it correctly, You're recognizing God has the answers. You don't. You're not saying, God, help me if. This is the answer. That's kind of presumptuous, isn't it? God, I will only recognize your help if it's in this manner that I want. That's like the old joke with the person like God, send somebody to help. You're drowning in the ocean. God, send me somebody to help me. A guy uh, floats by on a canal uh, on a canoe, and you go, "I'm,", I'm they're like, oh, "I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you." And no, no, no! Ask God to help me. i Ask God to send somebody to help me. Go! I'm talking to God. <laughs> well, maybe God sent the guy to help you, right? You know, you have people. I'm in financial straits, and. And I, God, help me, God, help me. God, it uh, gives you an opportunity. You're like, no, no, no. You know, that's, that might make me sweat. <laughs> you know, how many people have seen that? I've seen it over and over. You hear people, oh, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. But only if it's in this manner. Only in this manner. But when you truly supplicate, and you've already given thanks, and you've already worshipped God, knowing he's in control, knowing he's all-powerful, knowing he's a good God, knowing he's bigger than all of this, you're often ready to supplicate in the right manner. When you truly cry out for help, there's an unknown, and often that unknown is, God, how are you going to help? When God helps, you're ready now to accept that help in whatever form it is. It's kind of like it's not like Casera, Casera. Everybody know Casera, Casera. That old musical. Is it a musical? I don't know. If it's a musical. It's a song. It's a song, right? But it's from a yeah, musical in a, in a movie, right? And the idea is, what will be, will be, right? Casera, Sarah, What will be? I'm not going to sing. You're not going to trick me into that. I'm not a good singer. Just like I'm not a good artist. Uh, I don't have any talent. Um. Supplication to me is kind of like that. When you really get to the point. What happens, happens. What God provides is the answer. If I feel like I'm alone, God's providing to me all things I need through the empowerment he gives me so I can deal with this difficulty. It doesn't look like anybody's coming to my help, but God has already helped me. So I, what I felt was unbearable, maybe it's not so unbearable. I just felt like it was unbearable. And I was worrying about something I shouldn't have been worried about. But now that I've communicated God, the help is that he can calm me down. Right? Then after you do all this, you make your request known unto God, your specific requests, and you ask. And this also, after recognizing the thanksgiving and the worship and the supplication, Your your request can completely change. Just recognizing, hey, he's in charge. I don't even get to ask for whatever I want. I have to ask in the character of Christ and the character of the Father. I can't ask selfishly. Come to verse seven, and you have a fulfillment of a promise here. And the peace from God, which not passes all understanding. It's not understandable. The peace of God is not Beyond understanding. That's not what this says. It's the peace of God that covers over your mind. The peace of God that comes from the Holy Spirit can protect your mind. It performs a protecting function. This goes back. This is like another, you know, some arguments are kind of like, you know, a... And then they're linear, right? And they it's like B, and then they go C, and then conclusion, right? Anybody ever seen that kind of argument? A, B, C, A, if A, then B, then C, then bam. Everybody's with me because it was logical, okay? And sometimes arguments are more like this. You're, they're gonna state the point and they're gonna keep circling around the point and hitting it again. Coming out and hitting it again, and hitting that point again, and then circling around. That's kind of like what we have here. It's like hitting the nail on the head one big time, like bam, it's in there. Why is positional truth so important? Because not only is the method to empowerment, but you want to, there's things in life that are so difficult that they will get you derailed. They'll get your mind so messy. They they will completely derail you where you'll make horrible decisions. Horrible decisions. But keep your mind where it's supposed to be so you can be empowered, so you can utilize the life of God and the nature of God that you've been given. You're more likely to stay on the right track, right? Running the race, fighting the good fight, agonizing the agony. Pressing on to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Okay. The peace of God, when you set your mind on things above, this, is, this would be like a number six. Okay. It's not telling you to set your mind on things. You're already doing that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the access to the peace of God. This is telling you, this is a step of maturity where you're directing faith at a promise of God and you're utilizing this promise in six and seven. That you're communicating in this way that God has been laid out for the Christian so that you can lay hold of a promise. You can enact the peace of God in a very particular way to protect your mind. So here it's still maturity, but it's a specific, it would be a, maybe I would it would be 5.1, maybe we'll make it 5.1. It'd be underneath maturity. Okay what is the peace of God? It covers over all every or all or every aspect of the experiential mind. It will guard the heart, the heart, your hearts. That's a distributive plural. I don't have two hearts. It's talking about all you. All you hearts. Okay. How many hearts do you have? We all have one heart. I talked about the beating you know. It's talking about where you, it's where your soul and your spirit come together and you make decisions.
1: That's the heart.
0: Bring information from how you feel, you bring information of how you think, and in your heart, you make decisions. Circumstances can get you to move and do the wrong thing. If you worry about them, then you leave God out of it. But if you bring God back into it, into your decision making, this is how you do it through worship, through thanksgiving, through supplication, through asking, through keeping your mind. You let the peace of God ease you. In the midst of what is the peace of God? The peace of God is that supernatural ability to be at ease when everything's topsy turvy. Okay, right? Peace of God is not the calm lake, the the surface of the lake that's like glass. No, it's, the peace of God is like the storms that are roiling all the ocean, all the lake, all around you. But right
1: where you're at, it's like ice. Just where you're at. Because of the power and the empowerment from the Holy Spirit. And it's talking about the mind. Settling the mind.
0: Settling the mind. And what does it do? It does, it performs a guarding function for your thoughts, your thoughts. The word thoughts here is your noemata, the results, the results of the think, of the mind, the thoughts. Where? In Christ Jesus. So this comes back, peace of God,
1: to keeping
0: to strengthening this, okay? It comes back to strengthening this here in the midst of circumstances. So you, so this step four can be repeated and this can go from 5.1 to 5.2 and then 5.3. And you can continue and you don't get off the path. You continue to grow. Doesn't mean that it doesn't happen again that some circumstances come into your life. It's going to get you off again, get you worrying and mess you up. So that's 4-7. Peace of God can protect my heart and thoughts in Christ Jesus. Now, if we jump back to verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, therefore, my brethren... Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. And then it says, in this manner, stand in the Lord. My dearly beloved, stand in the Lord. Now, a lot of times, you remember, did the original transcript that Paul wrote to the Philippians, was it divided into letters? Was it divided into chapters? No. no. It was just a, a letter to these believers. So when it says therefore, what does therefore do? It's actually so as, it's host day actually. So as, my, it connects the previous with, the, with this passage. And Then you have this, in this manner stand in the Lord. What manner is it talking about? How are you to stand in the Lord? What's, it ta- what's this manner that you're standing in the Lord? It's, it's chapter three, folks. You're to be standing in the Lord, not looking at your past accomplishments or failures. You're to be stretching out, looking to the future of, of maturity. I'm not all that I'm going to be, and I'm not all that I was. I want to be the best I can be today. That's how we're to stand in the Lord. We're not here to compare ourselves with other believers. We're here to do the best I can to serve other believers. And that's what's in the context here, service of other believers. That's what it is when we're to answer the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ with other believers. We're
1: the true circumcision. So he's telling
0: them, that's how each of you should stand. You stand individually, but we stand together. Each of you, as you stand individually, we can work together. We're on the same team. And so that's why in verse 2, he beseeches Yodius and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. He says, I entreat the genuine yoke fellow. Help those women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. I know there's a question as whether yoke this yoke fellow is a is a person or if it's or, or a different person or if it's maybe just a the pastor of the church that he had had come and put his life on the line for these believers. Um, I don't think it's a huge the meanings here it's true either way what's being said here. Comes bound to this 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 disagreement between believers where they don't want to work together. It doesn't tell you what the issue is between these believers. It probably isn't that important. You can probably think of believers who got uh, who got their nose out of joint in the past, and it gets to the point where where uh, people that get out of sorts with other people they can't even remember what the thing was. They just know they're my enemy. You're my enemy. They don't want anything to do with them.
1: Rejoice in the Lord, again, I say rejoice in verse 4.
0: So stand in the Lord in this way, and it's just reiterating back to the previous context, how we're to be living a life looking to the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, interesting, and then we're going to hit the nail again here. There's an implication Look in verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are righteous, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly then now at the last, your care of me has flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of lack, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, to be self-sufficient.
1: I know both how to be abased or humbled, and I know how to abound.
0: everywhere and in all things i am instructed i have been initiated both to be have to having been filled and to hunger both to abound and to lack then in verse 13 remember this verse i can do all things through christ the one strengthening me now Tim hit this verse many times you probably know there's a problem here with the uh, christ And I don't don't bring a a critical text to know the evidence for and against or or if it's even there. Um, I know I put down my opinion that it's not Christ isn't there. Um, It's literally, I can do all things
1: by the one empowering me. I can do all things by the one empowering me. Which person in the Godhead is the one that empowers? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy
0: Spirit. Now, again, this goes back to this little diagram we've drawn up here for you. The Holy, number Number four here, and I've crossed out the four at this point, but it's number four. The Holy Spirit empowers you when you've set your mind on things above, so that He takes the life of Christ and shows it. That's John what 16 that christ promised and that's the fulfillment of it this is the fulfillment of it can i do all things can i can i do all things god said i could be a billionaire if i just put my mind to it if i just by the one empowering me i can do all things it says all things you just got to claim it right i can i can what you know what do you want it there I can run a mile. I can run 10 miles. I can run the marathon. You know, Tim's kind of alluded to this. You know, you can remember as a kid saying that running track or whatever, running for the football team or whatever it was. Can we do all things? Can we do all things? No, that's not what it's like. It's all things that God wants you to do. All things that God has called you to do. He's not going to ask you to do anything that he's not going to provide everything you need to do. And the number one thing you need is empowerment from him because he's going to be the one that accomplishes it through you. Okay. He's going to be the one that does it through you. He's going to empower you, give you the strength to do it. Starting with mental strength. Come down. Verse eighteen, he says, "But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches by glory in Christ Jesus. But my God shall supply all your needs. He's going to send you rice, right?"
1: He's going to send you
0: All the wood you need to build your house He's going to send you What A a, a master's degree in teaching So you can get paid what you deserve Right No that's not what it says here He's going to supply all your need According to his riches By glory In Christ Jesus so he has an opinion about us in Christ, and that's how he's going to supply our need. Our needs are not physical. Our needs are mental. Anything that we need down here physical, he's going to, it's not going to skip this step. Okay?
1: You have to have the empowerment
0: that comes from on high. doesn't mean he doesn't provide physical things you can see that right in the context all got things from the philippians even god provided things to but what's interesting about that is god takes something physical when you give it god counts it as a spiritual sacrifice isn't that interesting he's not giving a physical when you give your physical god counts it as a spiritual sacrifice the good is, is spiritual kind of interesting how that works, and Paul did physically benefit when they gave,
1: right? But God counted it as a spiritual
0: sacrifice, it takes a physical and turns it into a spiritual sacrifice. It's an odor a sweet smell, a sacrifice except well pleasing to God, as it says there in verse 18. All right, with that, I think we saw. In in Philippians, that position. Well, if you just looked at explicit statements of positional truth, while they're there, it's much less than the implicated statements. There's so much there, especially when you understand the doctrine. Then you can see. Now, if I was in certain things, this is not how you teach a doctrine. They they teach you exegesis, right? You take it out of Scripture. You don't read into Scripture. And what we've done, some of this, when we explain to you these implicated statements, we're reading into things that we know from other passages. Okay, so I'm interpreting for you. So I just, I'll be fair and honest when I say that. You know, but it's not bad to read into Scripture if you're understanding it correctly. Okay, if you think I'm wrong, prove it. Okay, if you want to, if you want to disagree, that's fine. I'm not. If you prove it, well, I'll say, well, you got it wrong. Sorry, you didn't prove it to me. Uh, But, uh, you know, tell me I'm doing I see Jesus. I'm not offended. All I want to do is know scripture. I'm going to start with exegesis, knowing what it says. But then I'm going to start putting verses together from other places to understand it more. And that's where I see Jesus sometimes comes in. Right? You got to analyze before you synthesize. That's what we've done. Let's close with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that we can look at your word over and over and over again. And we just ask, Father, that as we do this, we just become more fulfill- familiar with your word, that we would be able to understand it. That the Holy Spirit would be able to make connections in these different passages, that we understand your word more and more, so that we would be ready for these different circumstances that come upon us, that try us, that, that test our knowledge of you, It tests our reliance on you. And uh, there is nothing in this life, Father. We can say uh, intellectually that there's nothing in this life for us to have our faith in you waver. But yet, we're human beings. And there are things in this life that shake us. But if we rely on your word, we can stand strong in Christ. We can be in a place where... We're unmovable because we stand upon your word. We are in Christ. We are at your right hand, and you've made it so. So our standing is, is as immovable as you. Let us, Father, relate to that so we can find it to be true in our minds, in our lives, here. Amen.
1: Bye. <laughs>